Tomorrow we will be celebrating and uh, remembering the, the life of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, we, uh, he was a prophet, a preacher, uh, a lover of God's people, a pastor, and uh, in many ways, um, I, I owe a lot to uh, Dr. King. Uh, uh, he, you know, gave me direction early in my ministry uh, from the grave, from his works, uh, from his speeches, um, and I am indebted to him. I chose to major in sociology because of Dr. King. I, uh, chose to uh, his his ministry and his voice uh, gave me a direction and a commitment to the gospel and to social justice. So I and in many ways, uh, one of the reasons I'm here at UPC is because of the voice of Dr. King and his commitment to reconciliation. I am here at UPC. Amen. 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 And for today, I would like to uh, hang as a title over this text, the, the beauty of reconciliation, the beauty of reconciliation. And we will unpack that title as we look at this uh, passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter two, uh, verses, uh, chapter five, verses 16 to 21. Let us stand for the public reading of scripture and let us read together. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old is passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. You may be seated. This is the word of God. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord lasts forever. Dr. King made a very profound statement, and it's one, of, it's one of those statements or quotes that we don't often hear, but it, it captures the, the essence of this, what this passage is, is talking about. And one, one statement I have committed to memory early in my years of ministry, 19, 20 years old, and he made this statement that all men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. And whatever is done directly affects all indirectly. 
And if that is the case, then I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what, I, what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. And that statement captures the essence of reconciliation and, and how important it is uh, for humanity to realize that we are interdependent upon one another. In other words, we may have came here on, in different boats, but we're on the, in the same ship right now. Amen? And also, he made another statement that captures the essence of this passage of Scripture. He says that the, the potential beauty of human life is constantly made ugly by man's ever-recurring song of retaliation. Let me say that again. The potential beauty of human life is constantly made ugly by man's ever-recurring song of retaliation. Retaliation is ugly, and it is nothing more and nothing less than an expression of the sinfulness of humanity. Evil is ugly, and there's nothing beautiful about evil and sin, but beauty, beauty is powerful. Our world longs for it. Our churches long for it. You and I, we long for it. And I would even go so far to say today that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is beauty. There is beauty. But I would also say as a counter to what Dr. King is saying that the the potential beauty of human life can be made beautiful by an overarching song of reconciliation. But there must be a people, a people of goodwill who are committed to the song, the beauty of reconciliation. Because we see retaliation all around us. Uh, we see it between nations. We see it between Palestine and Israel. We see it between Ukraine and, and Russia. We see it between countries. We see it uh, in the government. We see it in our politics. We see it between senators and congressmen. We see retaliation, even on the highways of life. When, whenever we're driving down the road, uh, if someone cuts in front of me, then I gotta cut in front of them. Amen, somebody. So how can we overcome this song that we often hear and hear on the radio and we hear it, we watch it on television, the song of retaliation? There must be a people who are committed to the song of reconciliation. I think that's what Paul had in mind. And I would suggest to you today that Paul gives us some some cultural tactics, if you will, of this, this overarching song of reconciliation. He gives us uh, some cultural tactics of this new creation that we have been called to live into. So that's, that's the question today. How, how are we 
How we as Christians, as the people of God, as the church, portraying the beauty of Christ in the world. Let's unpack that. I'm glad you asked that question. First of all, this is my first point. First of all, we are called to cultivate an environment of redemptive love, of redemptive love. Look at what he says here. I know we didn't read this verse, but I have to backtrack and go up to verse 14 and 15, for he says, for the love of Christ urges us, urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. Look at what Paul is saying here, that the love of Christ, in other words, Christ loved us so much, and Paul, uh, uh, he kind of elaborates on this. He says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. He gave his life for us. He laid down his life. The greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And Paul is saying that that love, that that agape love, that redemptive love urges us that if one has died for all, therefore all have died. And Paul is talking specifically to the church. He's talking to us as Christians. The question comes today is who are we living for? Are we living for ourselves? Are we living for our parents? Are we living for the American dream? Paul is saying a better way to live is to live for Christ, the one who died and was raised for us and declared that all power was in his hands. That's what Paul is saying to us, this this redemptive love, this redemptive love originated not with us, not on American soil, but it originated with Jesus Christ. It's a love that cannot be reduplicated. It's a a love that originates from Christ. So here's the thing, here's the thing that Paul is is really saying to us, brothers and sisters, as Christians, we must recognize uh, and view every person. He, he talks about this in verse 16 and see around us as that every person is a divine object of God's love that they are starving for and in need of the transforming power that only Christ's love can bring. And that this redemptive love is... is is the expression, if you will, of reconciliation. You know, usually when we talk about reconciliation, we usually talk about reconciliation between white, white and black people. But Paul is saying that the most important reconciliation is the rec- reconciliation, vertical reconciliation between us and God. And that when that reconciliation is understood and grasped, in its totality, then the reconciliation between, between humanity uh, will become what it ought to be. That when we truly understand 
what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, then that vertical reconciliation that God did it all, then we will truly understand how important that horizontal reconciliation is. And see, here's the thing, reconciliation, as Christians, reconciliation is in our DNA. It's something that the Spirit has planted in us. It's innate in us. And so the, the closer we are to Jesus Christ, and the more clarity Jesus gives us, reconciliation is not an option in the Christian life. Reconciliation, uh, the gospel demands that we be reconciled. That we be reconciled to God, but also that we be reconciled to one another. Amen? So when we realize how much God loves us, that God has a greater hold on us than we have on him, that's the reason we're not lost, because he has a greater hold on us than we have on him. Love tells us that God is on our side. Love is a commitment, not a feeling. God loves us beyond our faults and, and, and all of our idiosyncrasies. Uh, God loves us. Love is a commitment. Love is a culture that must be cultivated in our homes and in our churches and in our world. Love is a change agent. This is what Dr. King talked about. He talked about the love ethic. He said it, it's the greatest weapon available to man that love, when it is uh, applied, that it has the tendency to uh, dis disarm our enemies. That they don't know what to do. That the, the love ethic, that when we love our enemies and, and bless them that curse us and pray for them that despitefully use us and, and persecute us, it has a way of turning an enemy into a friend. This is what Dr. King, the whole, meth, the whole movement of the civil rights movement was deeply rooted in the love ethic, the, the, the nonviolent movement and the protests of peace uh, was deeply rooted in the love ethic. And it, it's a change agent. It's a change agent. You know, a famous psychiatrist once said that true love, love, true love is the medicine for our sick old world. If people can learn to give and receive love, they will usually recover from their physical and mental illnesses. That's a powerful statement. That if people can learn to give and receive true, authentic, agape love, they will usually recover from their physical and mental illnesses. I think there's a lot of truth to that. That whenever we truly love, you know, when, whenever we send our children out to school, and if they know that they are loved, they stick their chest out. They know, if they know that they're loved by their parents and loved by their siblings, then they, they can go into the school system and hold their heads up and, and thrive in school. If they know that they are loved, they can go off to college and, and, and excel and know that, that they are loved by their family and they can stick their chest out and hold their heads up because they know that even though they're going out into a world of hatred, that they can be loved, that they are loved. Most importantly, that they are loved by God. 
And so we, we are we're called to love one another. And so this is one of the expressions of this, this reconciliation that Paul is talking about. But, but not only that, we, we, we're also called to do the deep work of the new creation. Now, I, I got that statement that didn't, that didn't originate with me, that, that, that originated with Dr. Mark Laberton when he preached here, that we, that we are called to do the deep work of the new creation. Look at what he says here in, in verse 16, which is a monumental verse when we think about what God has done in us. He says, from now on, therefore we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, and we know him no longer. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation, and everything old has passed away, and see, everything has become new. What Paul is saying here, that because of what Christ has done on the cross, that we're no longer to look at anyone from a human point of view anymore. Uh, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, and what he's saying, imp implying here is that uh, we knew Christ as being Jewish. We knew Christ as being a human. We knew that his mother, he, he, his mother's name was Mary and his father's name was Joseph. We knew that he had brothers and, and sisters. We knew that he grew up on the dusty roads of Jerusalem, that he grew up in Nazareth, and that he walked the dusty roads of Jerusalem. We knew him from a human point of view, but he said, but now we know him no longer in that way. The implication Paul is making here is that, that uh, there was more to Christ than his humanity. Now, he was very man of very man, and he was very God of very God. But it, it also lends itself to what Dr. Lloyd Brenner was saying last Sunday, is that we have souls, that we have a spirit, and that there's more to humanity than this flesh that we have. Uh, this flesh, as beautiful as, as it is, that there is a part that we don't see of one another that God sees. It's kind of like the story of, of Samuel when God sent Samuel to Jesse's house. And he sent Samuel to go there to select the king from one of the sons of Jesse. And as Samuel makes his way to Jesse's house and he, he brings out, Jesse brings out his sons. And as the, the oldest son walks past Samuel, and Samuel said, oh man, he sure enough looks like a king. And God said, no, that, that's not him. And then another son comes through, and then another son comes through, and then another son walks by, and Samuel said, now, oh, that, that has to be the king. And, and God said, no, Samuel, that's not him. And God tells Samuel, he speaks silently in Samuel's ear, and he says, Samuel, I, I look at the heart, I look at the spirit, the soul of an individual, not the outer appearance. And what God was saying to Samuel, he says the same thing to us, that when we look at people from a human point of view, that's not all that they are, that they have a soul, they, that they have a spirit, and they, they are created in the image of God. 
Now, you know, there, are, there is some debate about the soul and the spirit, and it's, it's interchangeable, but I'm not going to get into that debate with you today. Uh, the, the, the main thing is that we, there's a part of us that we can't see of one another. But Paul is saying here that uh, we, we need to understand that we're all created in the image of God, and we have a soul and a spirit that is important to God so much that he wants that soul, that spirit, to be reconciled to him. Amen? So he says, he says now, if, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. So when we think of this, this new creation, we think of this new creation, it implies, brothers and sisters, that we've got to do the deep work of the new creation. Paul is declaring that you have, we've become a new creation. But you know, it's kind of like a jack-in-the-box. When the right music is played, the old creation rears its ugly head. And Paul is saying here, we got to do the deep work of that new, new creation. And then in every situation, we must ask ourselves the question, how can we make God look beautiful in this new creation? Because what Paul is, is referring to, he's referring to Genesis when God created man in his own image and he created Eve. And, and there was the, the, new, the, new, the, the original creation, but that creation was distorted and the fallenness of humanity distort, distorted that old creation. But now, through Jesus Christ, the, the second Adam, the new creation comes into being. So he says here, that we're called to do the deep work of, of the new creation. So how do we do that deep work? I'm, I'm glad you, you asked that question. Because... When we are called to, we are called to employ these tactics of the new creation. We have been declared to be citizens of this new creation as a result of the salvific and the reconciling work that God the Father has done through Jesus Christ on the cross <clears throat> and through the resurrection. So here's, here's the thing. I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God gave the increase. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the increase. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose in each will receive the wages according to the labor of each. Paul is implying here, brothers and sisters, that there are some of us who plant. He says, I planted. He says, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. Now, there were those in Corinth who were saying to Paul, we don't, we don't respect you, Paul. You're not as eloquent as Apollos. Uh, and you're always talking about the cross. He said, we, we, don't, we don't respect you, Paul, because you're not as bold and as courageous as Peter. And when we see you in person, you look, you look feeble. But when you write letters, you come across as being strong. 
And so they said, well, Paul, Paul we, we don't respect you. And so Paul is saying to them, you got to, you, you, let me help you to understand this, that Apollo is, Apollos is, and, and Peter and myself, we're all cut from the same cloth. We're all one. We are servants of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is really saying to, to, to them and to us that the deep work of the new creation is about planting seeds. It's about planting seeds and it's about watering and God giving the increase because the seeds that we plant are not from the earth, but they're from heaven. The seeds that we plant, the seeds of reconciliation does not originate on American soil. It originates from heaven. The seeds of love does not originate on American soil, does not originate on earth. It originates on he in heaven. We get our seeds from the nursery of heaven and not from earth. And so as Christians, God has called us to plant seeds of love and plant seeds of reconciliation and not re racism and not ageism and not sexism, but to plant seeds of love, peace, and joy. Those are the seeds that God is calling us as a church to plant. The government can't plant these seeds, brothers and sisters. It's the church. Our politicians can't plant these seeds. It's Christians. Nobody else can plant these seeds but those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and walks the way of the cross. Can I get a witness in here? So some of us have been called to plant. Some of us have been called to water. But God gives the growth. God gives the increase. God is not going to water racism. God is not going to water sexism. He's not going to water ageism. God waters what comes from heaven, not what comes from the earth. This is what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church because they were a Sadidi church. They were a, a highbrow church. And Paul was not as eloquent as Apollos. He wasn't as brave as Peter. And I think that's why God used Paul to go to the Gentiles. That's why God used Paul not only to go to his Jewish brothers and sisters, but he used him, used him to go to the Gentiles as well because he knew Paul appropriated the reconciling work of God and he understood the horizontal deep work of the new creation that needed to be done. This is what he's saying and it's my prayer prayer for us, my prayer for me, is that we as a church and as the people of God will appropriate the beauty of the reconciliation of God's reconciling work and that we will understand that it's in our DNA. It is not an option. It's something that God has called us to do. This is, what, this, this is the other thing I, I want to point out here, and, and I'll be done. I'll be done. Amen, somebody. Reconciliation, this is my last point, reconciliation is the action or the act of restoring beauty in humanity. Now, you won't get that definition from anywhere else. I, I came up with that myself. 
So don't, don't Google it. It, it. it came from me. Uh, reconciliation is the act of restoring beauty in humanity. It's the act of restoring beauty in humanity. In other words, God wants us to counter the retaliation that is so embedded in American soil and counter it with reconciliation. He wants us to do that as Christians because we're called to portray the beauty of Christ. Look at what Paul says here in verses 19 to 21. He says that that is in Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. For 2,000 years now, over 2,000 years, God has been reconciling the world to himself. That's the, that's the ministry of reconciliation. And he says that, that all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ who has given us, the church, the ministry of reconciliation, of bringing back beauty to humanity. That is, that is God in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He said, I'm not holding that against them. I'm going to die on the cross while they are yet sinners and entrusting the message of reconciliation, the gospel to us. And then he says, so we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What Paul is implying here, brothers and sisters, that when the seeds are planted, and when those who plant and those who water, and God gives the increase. You know, every time I think about it, I think about my grandfather when he used to plant. He loved to plant vegetables and he would plant tomatoes, plant cucumbers and plant sweet potatoes and squash and, and watermelons. And if you go to 15, 14, 2449 Golden Camp Road, you will see the trees that he planted, and they're still just as beautiful today as they were some 40 years ago. And, and the beauty, a beauty about that is that when, you know, when he planted those things, he would, he would plant it, he would water it, but God gave the increase to it. And when they were ripe, he would pick the tomatoes and the cucumbers and and the sweet potatoes, and he would give them to my, my grandmother, and she would put the sweet potatoes whole in the oven. And then she would cut up the tomatoes and put a little pepper on them and cut up the cucumbers and put a little pepper and salt on them and put, a, and, and put them in a little bowl of vinegar. Amen, somebody. <laughs> she would make some smothered chicken and some some rice and some cabbage. I don't want to get anybody hungry. <laughs> but I'm just trying to paint the picture for you that because of my, my grandfather planting and, and watering and 
God giving the increase, we were able to uh, we were able to enjoy the sweet potatoes. We were able to enjoy the cucumbers and the tomatoes because somebody had been faithful in planting and watering and God giving the increase. But he also had to create, he had to till the ground. I would watch him with that tiller and he would till the ground and we would go get some chicken manure. Amen. Some of you grew up on a farm, you know what I'm talking about. You use that chicken manure and till the ground and that chicken manure served as fertilizer. He had to create the right environment for those vegetables to grow. He had to create the right environment for that fruit to grow. And such is the case in our own lives that we have to create the right environment in our families, the, the right environment in our churches, the right environment in our marriages for things to grow and for God to give the increase. What we see happening in a society, what we see happening in society is there's, there, 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 there's no fertilization. There's no tilling the ground. And they're just planting things that don't belong in the ground. They're planting hatred. They're planting racism. They're planting things that don't need to be planted in God's soil. But God is calling the church to plant the right seeds. God is calling us to be agents of reconciliation. That's what Dr. King was all about. He was about planting seeds of reconciliation. The civil rights movement was about reconciliation. It was about integration. It, it was about planting the right seeds in soil, in the, in the soil all over this, this country. King and the civil rights movement and those who marched with them were trying to plant the right seeds. The seed of love, seed of peace, the seed of reconciliation. He was planting and they were planting the right seeds. And Paul says that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are called to bring beauty to the world. And the question is, are you portraying the beauty of Christ in the world? And I have some questions I want to ask you. I want you to ask, answer these questions. You don't have to answer them right now, but evaluate yourself in light of these questions. Are my actions portraying the beauty of Christ or the ugliness of Satan? The question is, do you prey on others? P-R-E-Y, or do you pray for others? Do you wait for them to die, or do you help them to live? Are you behaving more like a predator in your relationships to brothers and sisters in Christ, or are you behaving like a guardian in your relationships? That's the questions I, I, I want to ask you today because God wants us to portray the beauty of Christ, not the ugliness of Satan. God forbid that someone comes to the church and they see the ugliness of church folk. Amen, somebody. We want people when they come, when visitors come to the church, when people who have been hurt by the church, when they come to the church, we want them to see the beauty of Christ. Because beauty attracts. 
When something is, a, with, something is beautiful, we are drawn to it. When someone has a beautiful personality, we are attracted to them. When something is beautiful, when an edifice is beautiful, when a person is beautiful, beauty attracts. And whenever the church portrays the beauty of Jesus Christ, it attracts the lost. It attracts those who are hurt. It attracts those who feel like they have been abandoned and isolated by the world. It attracts whenever we lift up the beauty of Jesus Christ. It attracts people who have been hurt. And that's what God is calling us to do as ambassadors to portray the beauty of Christ. The question is today, Jesus, what are you calling me to do? What are you calling me to do? Because reconciliation, we all play a role in reconciliation. To strengthen my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But when that relationship is strengthened the way it ought to be, as, as John said, how can a man say he loves God and hates his neighbor and hates his brother? Because true love is reconciling. Love does not keep, keep a track of wrongs. Love does not, does not uh, hate. Love, love uh, is, is, is something that is unconditional. And this is what Paul is pointing out here, that we are ambassadors of God's grace, ambassadors of God's love, ambassadors of God's peace. That's what Dr. King had in mind when he stood and, 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 and said that I have a dream speech. He said that I have a dream that one day that my four little children will live in a nation that they, where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He said, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia that uh, the sons of former slave owners and the sons of former slaves will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. And he went on to say, and it was all about reconciliation when he said, I have a dream. And he said, I have a dream that one day black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestant Protestants and Catholics will one day uh, be able to join in the words of that old Negro spiritual and saying, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. This is what reconciliation is all about. So God is calling us to portray the beauty of Christ and to partake of the, the beauty of reconciliation, to participate in that, and to engage in that. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word today, and we pray, Lord, that you help us not only to be hearers of your word, but also doers, that we may be blessed in all that we do according to your will. And Lord, we pray that the reconciliation that you have planted within our DNA as Christians, that we will live it out in the valleys and on the mountaintop, that we will be a living expression of bringing back the beauty of Christ to a world once wrought. In Jesus' name.